Well, hey, friends, church, man, it's a, it's a unique season that we're entering into right now, and uh, it's especially unique as a church where for so long we've, we've identified ourselves by our ability to gather together in worship. I mean, the corner piece or the cornerstone of, of what it's meant to be the church for so long has been that we gather together on Sundays to worship and celebrate the Lord Jesus. And now in this season, that's, that's not a reality for us. And so we're adapting what it means to love one another, to worship together when we can't physically be together. And so it's just an odd, odd season to be in. And it's particularly odd for me right now as, as I preach this sermon, as I, as I get ready to bring the Lord's word to us today. And, and here I am, I'm recording this in the sanctuary on Saturday afternoon and I'm preaching in my slippers. Don't judge me. I'm preaching in my slippers to a whole lot of empty pews. And it's just a weird feeling. It's surreal. You know, I'm, I'm oftentimes in the sanctuary all throughout the week because it's such a quiet, somber place to come and to, to have my own time in scripture and to worship and to pray. And yet I, I do that all the time, knowing that, man, on Sunday, it's, it's going to be full with, pe- with, with our people. It's going to be full and we get to see all of us together. And, and yet to come into this place now and to, to preach and yet know that we're not going to be able to gather for some time. It's just an odd reality. And, it, and, and it's just another odd reality in, in a whole deck of oddities that have become our normality or our normal life right now in this season. And so just know that we're praying for you guys. We love you. We miss you. As I know that you all miss being together and uh, we are praying for you as a church as we enter into the season. And, And I know that for all of us, so much has changed so quickly in our lives in these last two weeks. I mean, who would have, who would have called it just a few months ago at the beginning of the year you know, what the hottest item on shelves would be in March 2020, right? Maybe if you would ask somebody at Christmas time, what's, what's going to be the big thing of 2020 and what would people be waiting for five hours in line to get? And, and you might be thinking, oh man, maybe Apple's going to come out with a new iPhone or, or some big tech reveal is going to come out and people are going to be lined up at Costco five hours early to get it. And you're like, man, that would be so cool. And now fast forward to March 2020 and it's like, what are they waiting for? Now I'm waiting five hours in line at Costco to get toilet paper. And nobody would have guessed that that the hot item this year would be toilet paper and hand sanitizer. And yet here we are in a world that many of us didn't anticipate being a part of a few months ago. And as so many of us kind of process our thoughts and emotions with what the world's experiencing, it can, it can really seem overwhelming. In fact, it's almost impossible not to feel overwhelmed at times when we stop and think about it. And it's in those feelings of being overwhelmed by the uncertain in particular that we can become paralyzed. What made sense to us a few weeks ago, the things that we thought were solid, rock solid, they were dependable. My job, the food in my cupboard, the stuff I have, my kids having a normal life, being able to go to school, like all of that seemed rock solid. 
maybe the things that you were worried about a few weeks ago that you were questionable, like nobody would have thought these things would be on that list. And yet now what was once solid and dependable is, is so much more fragile than we thought possible a few weeks ago. And for many of us, that's, that's shaking and it's, and it's shattering our emotions, our thoughts, and we feel paralyzed by it. And it's in the midst of such times that we find out so much about ourselves. We find out how we respond to trouble. We find out how we respond to insecurity and worry and anxiety. We find how we process emotions like fear in the face of uncertainty. And yet we also find out, and perhaps more importantly than all the others, we find out a whole lot about our faith. And so this morning, as you guys gather together in your homes, maybe it's just you alone, maybe it's you and your family or whoever you're with, but I pray that as we do that, as we gather together yet not together, I pray that we would have the opportunity to explore that in Scripture. That in the midst of what our culture is experiencing together, we would be able to ask ourselves the question about our faith. That we would look into the word of the Lord and that we would be challenged, that we would be encouraged, particularly in this area as we're walking through this unique season. And so we're taking a break from our parable series And we're going to walk through the next few weeks together, kind of bringing our shared cultural experience into the context of Scripture. And our hope is that as we do that, that that our current experience will be put into perspective and our faith will be affirmed in the one who's greater than anything we can walk through. Even if we didn't see it a few months ago. And so this morning, we're going to start off by reading Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. And so if you have scripture uh, there in your home or wherever you're at, man, pull it out. I'd encourage you to, to spend time looking into the text. And I also encourage you, it's kind of a unique opportunity, uh, since you're not listening to the sermon live, that you have the ability to hit the pause button anytime you need. So I would encourage you, get, get some paper and something to take notes with. And that you would just use that pause button as you need as we go through the sermon this morning so that you can stop and process and write out and and contemplate and ask questions and really get the most out of our time in Scripture today. So like I said, if you've got your Bible, let's look at Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. We'll read the text. I'll pray for us as we enter into it, and then we'll dive right in. And it says this, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and they woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. Now he got up. He rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? 
He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Lord Jesus, we as your people, we're in a season of uncertainty. And this season snuck up on us, Lord. We didn't see it coming, and yet it's here now, and we're each trying to to grapple with this new reality that we're in. Lord, we don't know whether it's going to last a week, two, eight, or more, whatever it is, Lord. We don't know. And yet in that uncertainty has come so much fear, so much anxiety, so much worry. So Lord Jesus, I pray that as we start this morning, as we gather together in our homes and as we sit before your word, I pray that you would speak to your people. Lord, I pray that you would continue through the presence and the comfort of your spirit to encourage us. Lord, I know that universally we need that. We just need to be encouraged. But also, Lord, we need to be reminded of the truth, the reality of who you are that our circumstances, though we didn't see them coming, they haven't changed who you are. They haven't changed the way that you care for us. And so, Lord, we lean into that. We trust you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that our lives would be changed, because, Lord, we need it right now. So speak to us, Lord Jesus. We love you. We sit before you in your word, and we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. So if you look at our passage for this morning, Luke chapter 8, these, these few couple verses, now it's a really popular, well-known narrative from Jesus' life and ministry. In fact, most people, even if they didn't grow up in the church or don't have much experience in the church or with scripture, they probably have heard this story before, that, that Jesus calms the storm. And it's a really important narrative, and yet it's also a really condensed and compacted narrative. It's only a few short verses, and there's not much fluff. There's not much extra information provided for us beyond the basics that we need to understand Luke's main point. And his main point is this. Now, oftentimes we've, we've heard it interpreted in one particular way. And that interpretation is not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily inaccurate. It's just probably not the largest, most important focus of interpretation. And for many of us, we've heard it interpreted this way, that Jesus calms the storms in our life. And, right, and that's true. We know that he does. He calms the turmoil, whether it's personal, emotional, relational. Like He has the ability to calm those, quote-unquote, storms in our life. And that's a beautiful reality. It's true. It's good interpretation. But it's not the big picture that Luke's trying to get across here. The point of this narrative, Luke is not writing to the individual Christian, the individual follower of Jesus to encourage them in this particular unique struggle. He's trying to point out a a theological reality about who Jesus is. And that theological reality will then become a game changer for every aspect of our lives, everything that we encounter, not just my subjective individual storm. And the truth that he's trying to reveal about who Jesus is, is that Jesus has, as the sovereign one, he exercises control, he exercises authority and power over creation. And that that ability of his is unique to him alone, that he is the Lord of creation, 
and he has control of creation. And I think it's so unique and it's really, it ought to make us pause and wonder, think about how the disciples react to Jesus's work in this section of Luke 8, but first let's compare it to the way they react to Jesus working a miracle back a chapter before in Luke 7. So in Luke 7, Jesus raises the widow's son. He takes this this man who had died, and in the midst of all those who were there mourning, he raises him to life. And it says in verse 16 of Luke 7, listen to how the people respond, right? This is the people responding to Jesus raising a dead person to life in the midst of them, right? Think about how blown away you would be if you watched someone bring someone back to life in the middle of worship, right? It would be crazy. But Luke 7, 16 records their response this way. They were all filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. It kind of seems like a subdued response, right? I mean, Jesus raises someone from the dead and they're like, oh man, this is amazing. Clearly a prophet is here amongst us. Like, I'd be tripping out that Jesus just raised someone from the dead. And they're like, yeah, no, we're filled with awe. And, he, and he's a, clearly, he's a prophet. Be like, okay, well, that's kind of low-key, but all right. Now look at Luke chapter 8 and compare Jesus calming a storm to Jesus raising someone from the dead. Now the disciples in Luke 8, when they see Jesus rebuke the storm and tell it to be quiet and it listens, Then they respond this way at the end of verse 25. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? Man, he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. The disciples see this and they're blown away. They're like, man, it's one thing for Jesus to raise this individual person to life again, but now They're watching him tell nature what to do. And they're like, who is this guy? Man, even the storms, the water, the wind, it all just listens to him. And so Luke's point is this. Jesus is the Lord of creation and Jesus has control over all creation. And the point that you and I are just going to sit underneath the text this morning is this reality, that Jesus can control what no one else can control. Jesus can control the uncontrollable, that thing that nobody else, I don't care what your title is, I don't care what office you hold or what authority and power you have in government, it doesn't matter. There are certain things you can't control. And the point of our text this morning is that Jesus can control the things that no one else can control, i.e. creation. And for you and I this morning in the midst of the crisis that our culture finds itself, Jesus can control everything. The things that our leadership in government is desperately grappling with right now, trying to influence and control to the best of their ability, and we pray for them in that regard. But it's pretty clear for us that as we watch the updates coming from the Oval Office or the White House every morning, or as we watch uh, economists talk about how they're trying to curb the fallout, 
it's kind of clear for us to realize that, that each of us, no matter what position of government they hold, they're doing their best to control something that in reality they know they can't control. They're trying to shape it and influence it and push it in certain directions to, to achieve certain outcomes. They're doing their best with the tools they have. And yet you and I, when we watch this from our quarantined living rooms, we have to acknowledge, man, this is something that nobody can control. And then as, as God's people, as Christians, we come to his word and then we see these narratives like Luke 8, to 25. And we're reminded as God's people, man, my God, who is this? My God can control what no one else can control. My God can control the uncontrollable. And that's a reminder that we all need in light of what we're experiencing right now. As each of our worlds is kind of spinning off axis just a little bit, or maybe a lot of bit, and maybe in two weeks, you're completely thrown off and you're wondering, I don't know how to control this. No one knows how to control this. Then you and I, as God's people, we have to be pushed back and reoriented to scripture and realize, man, okay, man, who is this? My God, my God can control the uncontrollable. We need to be reminded of that from scripture this morning. And, and, but there's an invitation, right? So that's one thing to come to the, to the scriptures and to receive good theological content and truth. And that's what we have right before us. Luke 8 is good theology. It's good truth. And yet that truth will continue to exist whether you know it or not, right? God will remain in control of everything whether you choose to live in light of that reality or not. He's in control. That's not gonna change, but you and I, there's an invitation for us this morning. And the invitation is this. How will I, with my faith, respond to that truth that I'm reminded of? How will I respond to the truth that God controls the uncontrollable? And I and you, we have to make a conscious decision to put our faith in him as opposed to anything else, because only he can control the uncontrollable. And it's a conscious decision. Every day, you and I have to wake up, and when we look at the news reports, and we look at how things may continue to spiral a little bit out of control, daily, if not hourly, moment by moment, you and I have to make that conscious decision to put our faith in the one who can control the uncontrollable. And especially in seasons like this, it's a decision we've got to make over and over and over again to keep making it, to live in light of that theological reality that he is in control. And now many of us right now in this season, we need this all the more because our illusion of control has been shattered. The illusion of our ability to control our lives is being chipped away or has already been outright shattered We thought we had it. And yet now we're realizing, man, it turns out I, I lived really heavily in a delusional world where I thought that I could control every aspect of my life or at the very least I could control having enough groceries in my cupboards. 
And yet there are instances in our lives when that veneer of power and control gets shredded before our eyes. And for all of us in our culture, this is one of those seasons where it's just happening on a mass level, where we are losing the ability to believe we have control. And there's many ways that we can react to that reality. And my prayer is this morning that as we look at God's word, that we as God's people would respond differently than others that we would say, hey, it's okay. No, get me wrong. It hurts when my illusion of self-control gets broken. That hurts. It hurts because I was leaning on something that I shouldn't have been, and now it's gone, and it's kind of a hurt that I brought on myself. It hurts, but it's good because now now I'm freed up. I'm, I'm shaken up to be able to look at what I actually put my faith in. And from the text this morning, I think we're, we're, we're called to put our faith in the one who can control the uncontrollable. And we each have those instances in our lives. And, and I know you yourself, you've encountered many things in your life before where you come up against something, and you know what I'm talking about, when you come up against something that just makes you feel and reminds you of how small and powerless you truly are. Now, most of us, again, we live our lives purposely trying to block those things out because I don't want to be reminded that I don't have control. And yet, oftentimes, and you can probably draw your own instances from your own memory and experience, those things that reminded you, ooh, Ryan, you're much smaller than you think you are and you have much less control than you think you do. And for me, one of the instances that just, rem- that just jumps to my memory because you know, for me, as pathetic as it is, it was so traumatic, but it was when uh, I was in high school. And now I grew up in Southern California, like, like a lot of you guys too. But even though I grew up here, I have never been a surfer. I'm, I'm never going to be a surfer. I tolerate the beach during the summer because, you know, the sand is nice and the sun is great, but I'm not a huge fan of the ocean. Right? I know I know there's lots of you guys out there who are with me on that. I'm not a big fan of the ocean. Uh, I can't see what's below me, and that kind of freaks me out because I know there's stuff below me. Uh, it's just big, and like so. And I'm just not that great of a swimmer in general. So I mean, if we go to like a pool, I'm all good. I can handle a pool because I can see what's below me, and it's like controlled, calm water, and I don't have to be, you know, the Michael Phelps of the swimming world to survive out there. It's a pool, but for the beach, it's a little different. So I'm definitely not a surfer. But I remember in high school, my two best friends, Josh and Brian, you may have remembered, they were my racquetball buddies. They love to surf. And they are great surfers. They love it. And they would always try and get me to go out surfing with them. And I, to this day, continue to tell them no. And yet one time, I was a fool. And I said, sure, why not? Let's give it a shot. I'll go with you guys. I don't know what I was thinking that day. And so we go out in in my buddy's truck and we're stopping by all the beaches. And at every beach they would get out and they would look and they would kind of think about like, "Mm, okay, it was kind kind of bigger surf that day. Not crazy big, but definitely not surf that a guy who's not a strong swimmer and who has never surfed before should just try and paddle out into. And so we kept going to all these beaches and they'd be like, no, not this one. He's not ready for that. Not that one. And eventually I think they just got tired of driving. And we come to uh, one of the beaches in Huntington and they're looking out, and I can see them talking to each other like, eh, maybe he should, maybe he shouldn't. No, he probably shouldn't, but okay, yeah, Ryan, we're going to go out here. We're going to do this one. And I'm like, awesome, great, why not? And so we go out. Now, I don't know anything about surfing. 
No, very little, and that's, again, for good and purpose. And yet we're going out there, but this is what you're supposed to do. When you're paddling out to get through the waves, to get through all the breaking waves, you're supposed to take the board, and when it comes, you're supposed to push it under the water and duck or dive under the wave, and that's how you make it out past the breakers. And so, sounds simple enough, right? And so my buddies were not the best of coaches. They just kind of paddled out ahead of me and were like, God be with you. And so I was going out there on one of their borrowed boards and I'm out there and I'm like, okay, I can do this. And so the first wave comes and I try and grab the front of the board and push it under the water and it failed miserably. Like I couldn't get it under. And man, that first wave smacked into me and it knocked me right off the board. And so now I'm like scrambling, trying to get back to the board. And then sure enough, right as I get back to the board, another wave just comes and knocks me off again and pushes me under the water. And at this point, I'm like, okay, this is not going so great. So I get back up, try and get on the board and get out there. And the waves just keep on coming relentlessly. And after a while, I reached a point, probably didn't take that many waves, where I realized, all right, this is not for me. I'm not going to make it out. Like, forget this. This is a terrible idea. So I just turn around and I try and paddle back into the shore. And yet the waves keep pounding me. And also when you surf, you wear a wetsuit. Now a wetsuit's great because it keeps you warm, but it's also not great because if you're not used to swimming in one, it's really constricting. And so it tired my muscles out really quickly as I'm trying to swim in. So now my muscles are cramping. I'm getting pounded by waves over and over again. And I'm just trying to get back to shore. And my buddies look over and they're like, oh, wow, he he didn't last too long. And I was like, yeah, thanks, dudes. And so I paddle in and I get to the sand. And for the next two hours, I watch Josh and Brian have a great time surfing out there. And I have yet to this day, over a decade later, have never gone out with them again. And as I was sitting on the sand, I remember that morning, after I was catching my breath and, you know, kind of getting over panicking, I looked out and I remember looking at the waves and processing this feeling, this feeling that kind of shattered me and shook me a little bit is that when I, when I look at those waves, I just, I was powerless against them. They made me feel so small. I couldn't stop them. I couldn't tell them what to do. They just kept pounding me and I was just like, freaking out, trying to get on the board and get out of there. And yet they just kept coming. And as I sat there in the sand and looked out on the water, I remember having that feeling that we often get in life when we encounter big things. It just made me feel so small and powerless. So small, so vulnerable, and so powerless. And those times, whether it's something as silly as trying to surf when you're 16, to the big things in life that shatter you and make you feel small, they shatter our faith. And for many of us, it kind of reveals the fact that our faith maybe has in many cases merely been placed in the wrong things. So I know that many of the questions that are circling in our minds right now is, man, maybe my faith was placed a lot more in my job and now that unexpectedly is gone and I'm shaken. Maybe I've placed it in my money, in my stocks, in my my retirement, in my savings and now the stock market took a punch in the face this week and my money is worth a whole lot less today than it was two weeks ago. Or maybe I've always just kind of, like many of us, I've placed it in the assumption that I'm always going to be able to access the basic essentials I need. As silly as that sounds. And so when we see people waiting in line for five hours at Costco to get toilet paper, 
we have to understand what's really going on, right? It's not like that everybody all of a sudden is going to the bathroom more. What's really going on? Why are people waiting five hours in line for toilet paper? It's because people are encountering faith-shaking events that have shattered the veneer of their power and security. So maybe, maybe you were one of those who was in line at Costco and you don't necessarily know why, but you just felt this need to like, I need to go to the store and stock up on this stuff. Why? I don't really know why. I'm just scared. And these things that I had confidence in that kind of gave me control, they're gone now. They're off the table. And so it just makes sense to me to go and wait in line for five hours to get that stuff. the veneer of our power and security and our control is shattered. And so like everybody else, we're looking for something to give us that back. So for some of us, it means stocked cupboards or or as silly as it sounds, ventilator masks and cleaning supplies and hand sanitizer or extra toilet paper, right? And as ridiculous as those ideas sound, when we say them out loud, many of our own hearts are wrestling with those same fears and we too are searching for that thing that answer that will make us feel grounded again, that will make me feel like the world's not spinning and I have something solid to stand on. And it's because of all that, that shared cultural experience that we have got to pay close attention and to really consider the question that Jesus asks the disciples in verse 25. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? It, it might not actually be where you thought it was a few weeks ago. It might not be. I mean, think about the disciples. Just a few hours before, when they were on dry land, they weren't questioning where their faith was at, like they were a few hours later in that boat when Jesus is asleep and the storm is rocking. Life hasn't changed much for them in those last few hours, and yet they're freaking out, panicking that they're going to die in the midst of this storm. A few hours before, they knew Jesus just as well, and yet now their faith looks so much different because circumstance has revealed that maybe their faith wasn't fully in Jesus. And maybe the same is true for you and I. And so Jesus just asks us a real simple and yet such a profound and difficult question to answer when he just leans in and asks you and I, where's your faith? Ryan, where's your faith right now? It it might not be where you thought it was two weeks ago. It might not be where you thought it was back on dry land because now when the storm's rocking and you're ability to control your life is a little less certain. Now I ask you that question. Where's your faith? So I think we as a nation, we've entered, and and to be honest, we're probably going to continue entering for a little while here, a new kind of season that none of us were expecting back in January when we were all laying out our plans, you know, like, oh, 2020 vision this year, it's going to be amazing. Now, three months later, it's like, can I have some toilet paper, please? And as things calm down, as lines shorten and shelves fill back up, our society will normalize, right? That will happen. It's already starting to happen. 
But the question that Jesus asks us this morning to consider in verse 25 is one that we would do well to really answer, to answer truthfully. (laughs) So that as we proceed forward, as, as things start to return to normal, that stuff will begin to make sense again. But this is a unique opportunity for each of us to say, man, in the midst of this time when things aren't normal, where's my faith? And if we don't get that, if we don't get the right answer to Jesus's question today, it won't matter how we recover economically or how we recover as a society. It won't matter if we enter into a new season ahead because the underlying most important question won't have the right answer. And it's probably an answer that we can only uniquely arrive at in situations and seasons like this health crisis has pushed us into. To have the right answer to this question of where is your faith And the question to follow that is, is it in Jesus first and above all? I was going through my own devotions this week and I've been going through the book of Psalms. And I came across this uh, in Psalm 9, verse 10, this passage, this, this verse that I remember reading years back and reflecting on then and it just kind of spoke to me in a new and unique way given this current season. And that's the beauty of scripture is those things that we've read years before or a thousand times before, all of a sudden in a new season of life, we read it. And we're like, oh, this is just fresh and this is good and it's challenging and, and it spurs my faith and it encourages me. And as I was reading through Psalm 9 this week, that was one of those moments that I had when I read Psalm 9 verse 10. And so I would encourage you to to turn there, to mark it down, to write it down, and to consider what the psalmist is writing in Psalm 9, verse 10. Listen to what he says. He says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. It's that first line right there. Those who know your name, they trust in you. And that what the psalmist is talking about is not just when he says those who know your name, it's not just like I know what to call you. It's not just like I know what to call you when I see you and you know to call me Ryan when you see me. It's not that. It's not just, I know the name that you're called by. That's not a big deal, right? Everybody knows God's name, right? Stub your pinky toe, anybody on a coffee table, and you will know what to call God. You'll cry out, right? But that's different than what the psalmist is getting at. He's not saying those who know the the actual name, the letters to, to put together into a word and call you, it's not so simple and easy or basic and shallow as that. But in ancient cultures, to, to know someone's name was not just to know what to call them, but it, was, it meant something so much deeper. It meant that from experience, you knew their character. So when the psalmist says, Lord, those who know your name, he's talking about, Lord, those who have experienced your character before, Those people put their trust in you. Why, God? Because they've experienced who you are before. They've experienced the reality of your character before. 
And when you've tasted and seen and experienced the character of God, you find that he's someone worth putting your trust in. Those who know your name, they put their trust in you. Why? Because you, Lord, you have never forsaken those who seek you. And so when we couple that idea of of experientially knowing and experiencing the character of who God is and therefore knowing his name, when we take that and couple it together with Jesus' question, Ryan, where's your faith? Ryan, where are you putting your trust And then I think about what the psalmist talks about. I'm like, Lord, I have experienced your character before. And because I've experienced the reality of who you are before, I can with confidence trust you and put my faith in you today. And church, that's what I would encourage you guys as you're gathered together with whoever you're with to encourage one another, to remind each other, man, I have seen, I have experienced the character of God before in difficulty, and I've seen him bring me through everything. It may not have been in the way I thought he would do it, but he has seen me through and led me through every difficulty thus far. And because I know his name from those times, I put my faith in him. I put my trust in him yet again today. I haven't experienced anything like I'm going through right now in life, but I've experienced the character of God before. And I'm going to put my trust in him. I saw a, a quote that one of my wife's friends shared on Instagram, and I don't remember who it's attributed to, so forgive me for that. But it, you know, most of the time, I'm not too impressed with pithy quotes that circle or circulate on Instagram. But I saw this one, and I was like, man, that one, that one speaks so profoundly in light of what we're going through and in light of what we're thinking about in the text this morning. And it was just a simple, simple statement that said, never be afraid to entrust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to entrust an unknown future to a known God. And when I think about that, I think about Psalm 9, verse 10. He's a God I know. He's a God whose character I've seen before. He's a God that the scriptures affirm for me. He's a God who can control the uncontrollable. And I've seen him do it not just here in Luke 8, not just in a book, not just in a text, but I've seen him do it before in my life. And so because of that, though this is an unknown future, I can put my faith in the God I do know. So church, man, my prayer is as as I wrap up, As I wrap up our time in God's word, my hope and my prayer is that no matter what's going to come this week and the next week and the one after that, I don't know and you don't know. And to be honest, our governmental leaders don't know. 
but we can entrust that future to the God we know, to the God whose name we know, whose character we've seen, the God who is in control of the uncontrollable. So my prayer is this week as we begin this series and we continue in through the next couple weeks that we would all start off on that same page of Lord Jesus, I don't know what this week's gonna hold. This, this week behind me kind of took me by surprise and, and kind of threw me some punches I didn't see coming. But despite all of that, I'm gonna start living in light and making a conscious decision to live in reality or live in light of the reality the theological truth that you're a God who controls the uncontrollable. And Lord Jesus, I'm starting off, my family and I, we're starting off right here, right now, affirming that to be true. So when you ask me, Lord Jesus, where's my faith? We're gonna come and together and make a decision as a church and as families and as individuals that our faith is gonna be in you, Lord Jesus, you, the one who is in control. And we're going to entrust to you all of our uncertainties, all of the unknowns. We're going to trust them to you and we're going to put our faith in you and we're going to follow you into the unknown. And Lord Jesus, we admit and we acknowledge that's difficult to do because for many of us, we've been relying on our own control and now that's gone. So Lord Jesus, we put our faith in the one who is in control in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We celebrate that that your scriptures are true, that you control everything. You are sovereign over creation, over all nature, over the economy, over all disease. You are in control of it all. And so as your people, though we be rocked, though the storms are rolling around us, though we are filled with uncertainties and plagued by anxieties, we look to your scriptures and we look to you, the God whose name we know, the one whose character we've experienced. And we say today, we make the decision as your people, to say, I trust in you. My faith is in you, no matter what comes. But Lord Jesus, we pray for your mercies. We pray for your favor in this season. Lord, I pray that you would restore and protect every single job in this congregation. I pray that you would protect us, Lord. I pray that you would provide for our needs, Lord, that you would provide for our cupboards this week. Lord, and that's a prayer we pray real this time. We trust in you, Lord Jesus. You have never failed us before, Lord. And so we, as your people at Friends Church, we continue to affirm and reaffirm our faith in you. Lord Jesus, it's for your glory and for our good that we pray these things in your name. Amen.